Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming my very first guest who is quoted in my book, Growth IQ. So Mayur Gupta recently became the chief marketing officer at Freshly, where his mission is to build a household lifestyle brand at the intersection of health and wellness. Most recently, he served as vice president of growth and marketing for Spotify. While there, he was tasked with growing the company's user base and strengthening the brand. Prior to him uh, being at Spotify, he was executive vice president and chief marketing officer at Healthgrades. He also served as global head omni-channel experiences and platforms at Kimberly Clark. And prior to that, director of marketing technology and strategy for Sapient Nitro. So welcome to the podcast, Mayur. Thank you, Tiffany. Glad to be here. And I'm and I'm really I'm thrilled. Like that's so great. Like the first the first quoted person. I think, although I've had Seth on and he's been in the book, but I mean, you know, I guess since publication, I should say, I think you're the first you're the first guest. So thank you for making time for us. Um, so I like to start this off with something I call bullish and bearish. Nothing too painful, but our listeners have really begun to enjoy it, and it's just something to kind of get the juices flowing and have a little fun. Uh, you know. Uh, no politics, um, no hard questions, I hope. But are you ready? I am ready. My heart's beating really fast now. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. Let's go with the first one. Bullish or bearish? Marketing carrying a revenue quota. Bullish or bearish? Strongly bullish. Good. Good. I may change one of my third question then based on that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll, let me do the second one then. I'm going to change up the second one. So the second one is bullish or bearish that sales is a harder job than marketing? Absolutely bearish. Oh, so I asked that with another guest and they gave me the opposite. So I can't wait to talk about that. All yep. right. And then the third one, a little more fun and a little more personal. Do you think we can teach robots how to play cricket? <laughs> Bearish. Okay, fair enough. So a little fun, you know, I try to do something that's a little personal, you know, so I know that uh, you have a love for cricket. So, um, and I couldn't think of one for singing, which I think is your other. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to say, uh, do you think that we can, you know, make that technology could make a, you know, a tone deaf, really bad singer, a really great singer, uh, which would be. Which it kind of is doing already. If you speak to some of the folks, they're using technology to, uh, to actually create art, to create songs. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, if it could make, you know, if it could make us all better singers, at least to sound better in, you know, in your car as you're screaming uh, down the road, that would be great. Um, yeah. Well, so let, let me start with that first uh, sort of, you know, the job being harder, because I think you've had this wonderful view across your your career on uh, being a, you know, a true marketer. And in your last role, uh, you know, it didn't have a, if you would like, you know, sort of a full-time salesperson, right? It was driven really from marketing. So in that case, the fact that you said bullish on revenue quota was not a surprise to me. But thinking about hard, and of course hard, it needs to be defined, but what do you think today with all the technology, the difference is between a marketer and a seller at its core? Yeah, yeah, I, I love that topic. I love that for so many reasons, but you know, I will 
the one thing I would start all this by saying that I'm perhaps one of the most underqualified marketers out there because I never studied marketing. I'm an engineer, uh, spent many years studying uh, computer science, and then that was the first many years of my career. And and um, I don't know if that's good or bad. It uh, I will say it gives me a, I look at marketing from a very different lens and a very human lens because I know nothing better. So the rituals and the surface of marketing is something that I've never understood. And um, I think that's kind of helping me because just thinking like a consumer. Now, the reason why I was so strongly bullish about marketing, having a revenue target, and uh, also extremely bearish about marketing and sales being different or uh, or uh, being stronger or weaker or easier. Fundamentally, I do not see the difference between marketing and sales anymore in the world today. Because that's how the world was perhaps 15 years back where what a salesperson did was dramatically different from what a marketer did, where we were holding a marketer accountable for so-called building the brand and telling you how unique you are, just like the other person or the other brand. And then it was a salesperson's job to go and go in an analogish world for the most part and take the product and go and convince people to buy it, right? And perhaps most cases it was selling it to a middle layer or many, many middle layers ultimately will reach a customer's hand because, you know, it was it wasn't a customer or a consumer-led era. It was an era led by the brands and perhaps after that by the retailer and then the e-tailer. You know, in a consumer-led brand where the consumers have all the power and the choice and discovery and access and control, they are going directly to brands. They are, they're looking for information. The, the, the funnel still exists. It's perhaps absolutely shrunk to microseconds and micromoments. In that, you know, in that world, it is almost impossible for me to think about if a marketer's job is to go and talk about and inspire behavior and inspire expectations and get you to the point of purchase, why would you stop there? And why would you hand off to somebody who's now saying, oh, I'm going to sell it? The whole idea is to drop down and break down every single friction that exists in the journey. And if that's the case, I think every marketer better be a salesperson and better hold them accountable for outcomes and no longer for outputs. And outcome being ultimately, ultimately driving growth, moving the needle. And of course, how you do it, the outputs of to get to those outcomes is building the brand, building the user base and you know bringing the user back, which is building retention. So my simple answer is I don't see these as two isolated functions anymore at all. Well, it's interesting because the quote that I used in Growth IQ from you, that it's sort of a longer quote uh, in the uh, churn path, the back end of that quote was the, this is your words, right? The smarter you are higher up in the funnel, the stronger you will be lowered down in driving engagement, retention, and ultimately lifetime value. Yes, because if you don't do that, I think you bleed twice as a brand. First, you bleed because you're trying to win somebody who is not who does for whom you just do not have a product market fit. So you're you're paying way more to bring them through to your door, and the way you do that is you throw them a carrot. So you know you give um, three for ninety nine cents, three months for ninety nine cents, which is a very standard traditional model for everywhere or in in food tech, you know, you get uh, X dollars off and it continues to vary and you continue to increase your customer acquisition costs because you're trying to bring somebody blindly. 
because you're just trying to hit numbers. And then you bleed again because now they are through and you know they are through that, they're beyond that first interaction. Now the real battle begins. How do you bring them back? And now you work even harder to stay, to keep them on your platform when they should not have been here in the first place. So that's a whole different conversation on you know how it's easy to understand who your customer is and, and the, all the traditional segments and whatnot, but how many brands are really applying that data, applying that insight um, through the funnel. Yeah, and I think that you know, you're also in a unique situation, well, at least in your last role, and, and I'm not sure about in this one, but you know, I'd like your perspective is that you know, I wonder if the, you know, absolute bullish on that, those comments is also because marketing has played that dual role in the fact that you didn't have, you know, traditional classic sellers. Uh, and so marketing behaving as sales, because so much of it happens digitally, if not all of it happens digitally, where you're watching the journey, you are, you know, paying attention to and listening, the content that's pushing, you know, you're very aware of those things and, and acting accordingly versus where you do have handoffs between different organizations, you know, between, you know, a classic quota bearing sales rep and then a marketer who may be completely, you know, managed in completely different organizations with different leaders, different metrics, et cetera. Uh, where it's easy to say, you know, marketing and sales in, in that very bullish answer when there isn't the opposite. Would, is that fair or not fair? Um, it's yes and no. And uh, I say yes and no because I feel that some of this is still that traditional mindset. And I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit. First of all, you're, one, you're absolutely right. Look, in a, in a completely so-called digital business in a digital economy where everything is happening online. I think it is difficult to isolate the two functions. Where you may just may be able to convince me to have a sales rep is perhaps if you said, let's say in healthcare, where ultimately if you're a pharmaceutical brand, you know, you're going, even that is not allowed anymore. But you know, if you happen to somehow get to a doctor's office and sell. But even there, even in that extreme scenario where, you know, your marketing is absolutely digital because there's nothing else otherwise, but your channel to drive um, any kind of sale is absolutely in an analog world face to face. Even in that world, I would assume that it perhaps may be a different answer if somebody was bootstrapping that idea all over again. Would you break that funnel? Would you have two different people? trying to figure out, okay, you inspire that behavior. You know, you create the curiosity and create the excitement and I'm going to go and uh, and close it. And that is where I think some of that traditional mindset of creating these traditional silos um, is where I just don't feel that's how organizations grow today. I, Interestingly enough, I could get a lot of that from the book as well, Tiffany, where I felt you were focusing so much on the customer, which I loved. And in many ways, having this mindset of cross-functional pods or the cross-functional squads where you bring a, a group of, you know, multifaceted mindsets and have them focus on a single outcome, a single KPI, as opposed to functional silos. Yeah, and, and uh, I think it 
goes to what I was just going to ask, ne ask next, because you did come from the engineering side and sort of, you know, uh, found yourself in marketing is so many companies today are product led. And if you're a technology company, engineering led, you know, and if you're uh, in any form of tech, it tends to be engineering led <laughs> to moving yep. to being more market led or customer aware, I should say. So for, for listeners who, you know, may be faced with this dilemma of I'm trying to become more customer centric or I'm trying to become more market led, but the company is absolutely enamored by the product, right? They're very product led. To, you know, that's, uh, we could spend a whole day just talking about that topic because that's so close and dear to my heart. And um, one, I have, I have, uh, I have had gone through that experience and I have a very strong opinion about this, this mindset of uh, a functional led organization. And I think ultimately that is a function of what the leadership is. And I've seen that companies orchestrate towards what who's the founder who's a ceo and where how do they gravitate and where what their background is and if you have somebody who's you know who's traditionally been a marketer i think they over index towards that side if you have someone who's got a product and engineering background that's what i've seen what i would love to see that more and more organizations are challenging themselves to fundamentally put the customer and the human in the center and that is when the question on are we really a product-led company like i hear a lot are we a tech company? Are we a content and a media company? Well, in order for you to ultimately become customer centric, you have to be all of that. You have to be a data company. The best place to be in when you just can't figure out who you are because everything you look at, it seems like, yes, you are that too. And that to me is the epitome of, of a great you know, unicorn organization in the world today. Yeah, and I often hear that you know, customer led, customer first, and uh, I've 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 pivoted a little bit on that because I think when I have said it, it misses a piece of the equation, and I'm going to guess you're going to agree with me, but uh, it leaves out the employee side, and so you know, is it so? I, I I've sort of moved to saying in you know, kind of in employee first, customer you know, led or customer centric. Right, so that you've got the balance. Uh, that if your employees are happy, your customers are going to be much more happy. If your employees are happy, they're designing better products. They understand their role. You know, all the flywheel of the things that happen that are fantastic because of that. Would you agree? I couldn't agree more. And I'll say it. I'll say it in my uh, less eloquent way. Is one I I love. I've always said organizations and all of us need to be human first, and that kind of encapsulates. The the second part. I would say kind of the same thing, Stephanie, is like I said, as an engineer, I've never been a brand marketer. And now I have an opportunity after having learned from some fantastic brand marketers through my career, I have an opportunity to kind of share my perspective on how I think about a brand. And one of the first things I started in my new journey of Freshly was, you know, talking to the leadership team and rest of my organization was you, nobody can go out there and depict and reflect a brand that is different from who you are internally within the organization. And again, I'm just building on what you said because I could not agree more. There is a lot of, there's a wave right now about creating culture, about influencing and shaping culture. But you as an organization, you as a brand cannot create and shape culture differently 
from the kind of culture you're building inside. And that is that is exactly why, to your point, you cannot be customer focused if you do not care about your first customer, which is the people you work with, your employees who make the brand. And and you and that's when I see, and when brands do that, the customer is so smart today, they can see through it. That is when you are no longer authentic, right? That is when you're not transparent and truthful to what your purpose and mission is. And I think that's where all these things, doesn't matter where you come from and what question you try to answer, it all boils down to authenticity and bravery and being transparent. Whether that is the kind of experiences you deliver or how you really care about people inside and outside the organization. Yeah. And so thinking about that, you know, if you are part of an organization that gets that from day one, that's kind of one journey. But you have organizations that don't maybe necessarily get that from day one, that they're having to actually culturally transform themselves to get closer to what you and I are talking about. And I think that those are very different challenges, you know, keeping and maintaining something you grew up with versus completely shattering, you know, we've been always been product led or we've been technology led or engineering led or whatever to now we're going to try to be much more uh, customer led, but also much more culturally aware of what we're, what we're doing. Yes. And, and look from, I, I feel that, that is absolutely fine because I, I would not expect to go into any organization that has figured it all out. What I would love to do, what I would love to have in my career is is landing up in organizations that are open to that change because I don't think culture is static. Culture will never be static. And as you bring uh, more diverse culture and more diverse people who will bring that diverse culture, you're bound to evolve. I think what should not evolve as you grow as an organization, is your belief system, you know, are your values. I think if they change with the change in your growth trajectory, that is more worrisome to me than saying that, yes, there is an organization that is consciously realizing and introspecting, you know, frequently enough on what else they have to work on, including, you know, continuing to improve the culture they have, both internally and externally. Well, let me, let me pivot a little bit because I think a lot of your work has also been very squarely focused on growth, which is sort of one of my you know, favorite topics. Uh, and, and as a marketer, you've looked at it in a couple of ways, and I really liked how you have carved it out. One, you have sort of this growth on brand and in no order, right? The second one is sort of growth in the user base. And third, in this sort of growth in the user value. And I think that's a fantastic way to think about it because either people get so fixated on the top line revenue growth number that they forget about the base. So then they have churn problems, et cetera. Um, and then they might get so fixated on the churn and the top of the funnel that they forget about the value side of the equation. Uh, and so how, how do you organize that thinking within a team to really get people focused on those things? And, and how did you kind of, come up with that construct in the first place? You know, I'll start, I'll go backwards. The, the coming up of the construct was trying to protect myself because I knew nothing better. And uh, I had to break the complex world of marketing for a non-marketer to really figure out what the hell am I going to do? Um, so I really had to kind of apply an engineer system thinking top down, bottom up to say, look, fundamentally, um, 
you know, despite all the chatter about the channels and back in the day, mobile, then big data, and now machine learning, AI, and social, and this and that. And, uh, you know, I kind of was trying to wonder, what exactly are we ultimately trying to do? And and also in a world where I've seen this funny pendulum, especially in growth companies, and I'm talking, you know, big top 50 growth companies, I won't name them, but I think everyone's going through a pendulum where they think about marketing as a propellant for the brand. They do that for four years. They realize, well, you there is so much brand work, you know, you really can't prove the ultimate impact to the business, then they over-index on the so-called performance. They do that for three years, they realize they've cannibalized the brand, the human has gone away, you know, we're not emotionally connected, and they go back. So there's this funny pendulum. And what I see just sitting on the outskirts, what I realize is it is no longer either or. Now, I will caveat that in those three kind of I put them as a concentric circles because the magic happens right at the intersection, growing the brand, growing the user base and growing the user value, that while all three are extremely critical and it's not either or, as a matter of fact, they amplify each other. I will say that there is some preferences that you may have based on where you are in a journey. Very simple example. If you're a startup and if I'm a founder and this is my you know, third month and I'm my focus right now will be uh, just growing the user base because I'm just even trying to figure out do I even have a product market fit? And I really don't need to leverage the power of a brand because right now my brand is my product. If that product sucks and does not meet the core need of the customer or the user I'm going after, then no, no effort on building that brand will help me. Nothing on the surface can change the substance. But as you grow and as you prove the product market fit and eventually you move from your product being your core brand to your user base becoming your core brand. And then as you get more data, you use the data to tell the user's story and you build trust because that's your proof point. You realize very quickly that, look, purely with the power of science and so-called growth from Silicon Valley, you can move the needle and take your company to a certain point. You know, let's say X X million users, Y, 100 million revenue. If you truly want to change the world and have a, have a billion users or a 300 million users using your platform and coming back, you have to think beyond the mechanics and the science of bringing them and keeping them and giving them carrots. You have to build that emotional and cultural connection where they feel that they are part, that you are part of their life, where you have ultimately created a platform where they get to express themselves, where you haven't created a platform to express what your brand is because they can see through. So to me, it of course, there is a point in your journey as an organization where you start to unleash these levers. But if you are now at a stage, then you cannot really pick and choose that I'm going to invest in the brand and I'm going to invest in performance, etc. And there's one last thing, Tiffany, and I'll, I'll stop after this, is I also feel that we have kind of used this data and the analytical mindset far on the other side. And what I mean by that is there is, on one hand, we absolutely have to make marketing accountable. Marketing has to be held accountable for outcomes, moving the needle, you know, because the world of madmen and the days of madmen are over. At the same time, I'm a very strong proponent and believer in that 100% of marketing or every single, of mar- every single dollar of marketing should absolutely not be measurable. And this is coming from an engineer and a data and a science guy. 
Because I feel if you do that, you become such a mechanical brand and you become a gaming company where people are coming to you for a very transactional and functional reason. And so the, the way I have worked around that is, is you challenge yourself to make sure that, let's say, 80% of your marketing spend can get, your, get you to 100% of your business goal. And then the remaining 20% you use for what you, what you believe in. You use it with a mindset that I don't care what it does to my brand and to the growth. And that is when you create, you know, an emotional, cultural, and iconic brand. Well, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, that was, that was, that was a lot of things I'd want to unpack, but two things specifically. Uh, and this, this came out of uh, someone I've had previously on the podcast, Peter Fader, who wrote the book Customer Centricity, and he's a professor at Wharton. And he did an exercise with his class around doing a bottoms up analysis of lifetime value and sort of the value of the customer, you know, like putting a, a sort of dollar amount on that value of the customer and then calculating what they thought the earnings were going to be for specific brands uh, in a quarter. And so they grabbed, you know, probably some out of that top 50 growth list, right? It was very much in the recurring kind of model. And uh, so they did these sort of projections of what they thought the earnings were going to be and compared it against what the street analysts thought the earnings were going to be. Sure. And the class came within, like, I'm going to ruin this, but it was like, you know, 0.001% of, <laughs> of, you know, what they needed to do. And so uh, basically proving that the bottom-up model of understanding the value of a customer, the customer you already have, when many marketers as well as sellers get so wrapped up around the shiny thing they're trying to go get and nail new logos or a new you know, individual or consumer, whatever it might be, that they forget sort of the gold they already have. And that the value in that growth and the user base and the value also raises the value of the brand because more people are talking about you and sort of all those things. So it's interesting to me that many companies, uh, you know, in my experience, will talk about that top line, right? Like, let me get them at the beginning. Yeah. And they forget that they've worked really hard, spent a lot of money. Like you said, 80% of the budget captures what they need to do. Like they're spending a lot of CAC or customer acquisition costs or whatever you want to call it. And then they forget about the ones that they have. Yeah. And so, you know, there's two things because, you know, a lot of the experience now in your current role and your past role was in this model that was recurring revenue. But I'm interested in what your thoughts would be for a company that is transactional. Like I have a donut shop or I have a, you know, dry cleaner or right where I don't have recurring revenue, but I'm also very much concerned with brand user, you know, the base and the value. Yeah. Yeah. So what about for the, you know, I might buy from you once every two years or once a year, you know, uh, that I don't have that touch with you and I'm not making a loyalty decision month after month, Yeah. but I have to make the decision once and then I may make it again a year later or two years later. What yep. any difference there in what you've just said? Yeah. Um, no difference. The difference in in the strategies you may apply. And I will love this is where I love and not because they are Amazon, but as a consumer, I love what Amazon does. And when you read what Jeff Bezos would normally say as a day one company, or he would say that that they are challenging themselves every single day to add incremental value to their most loyal customer. 
And that to me is fascinating. Everybody would say that, but most organizations are trying to add incremental value to the customer at risk. But it, going back to your point of true customer, whatever you want to call it, human-centric brands are the ones who challenge themselves to add value to the customer who's already loyal and not going anywhere. But first of all, that's the mindset. To your point on very transactional products, you know, where in terms of the pure, pure functionality of the product, well, I'm going to come back six months, one year from now. See, in a world, in a world where interaction and engagement are absolutely non-analog, you know, they're happening every single moment. I think that is where those brands have to challenge themselves to really go back to the drawing board and ask, what problem are you truly trying to solve? Are you really in the business of selling donuts, period? Or are you in the business of creating an experience where the donuts is perhaps a key component? You know, it's like the Peloton mindset where, yes, the journey started with the bike, but it does not end with the bike anymore. Now it's an overarching experience. It's a lifestyle. You're buying the shoe. You're buying the, you know, you're buying the clothes. And you have a coach. There is content that is changing your life. Now you are engaged even in between those sessions. Whether those are sessions at home or those are sessions, you know, at uh, at the donut shop, but unless brands do that, you know, it's it's not really an option. It's it's really tough for them to survive because if in a world where access and discovery is so easy and on fingertip, if I happen to go back to that brand every year, then I'm starting my journey all over again. And trust you, trust me, eight out of ten times. I'll probably land up somewhere else because somebody else has a better offer for me because it's so functional. So I think there is, in my, from my standpoint, there is a mindset that marketing to today is always on. Whether that is your physical product that comes into play every six or 12 months, but if you want to maximize and grow, your biggest challenge is how do you bring the user back one more time? Your biggest challenge is how do you create habits? And that is when you have to leverage the power of data and science and translate that into conversations, even between product usage. Well, I mean, I could keep going and going and going because I love having uh, conversations with sort of the practitioners in the fight every day, right? Because the perspective is so real time, you know, you're testing and trying and learning along the way and uh, sort of, you know, taking the learnings across uh, you know, organizations. And I think, you know, in the last two roles specifically, right, you've been at the forefront of trying to figure out how do we use technology uh, in a way that helps us be smarter marketers and, you know, sort of smarter stewards of the growth of the business, whether it is brand or base or the value, et cetera, and especially around things like, like lifetime value. So, you know, let me, let me sort of wrap this up with, with a couple of sort of final questions. One is, uh, what do you think is next? What will the marketer of the future look like? And I don't mean, you know, 10 years from now, but let's call it 24 months from now. You know, sort of it, it, it's something a marketer should be thinking about. Yeah, I think um, multifaceted um, and on their toes, every single, very similar to medical profession. And I use that medical profession as an analogy because there is no dearth and stoppage to the viruses that will keep popping up. That's just the way nature is. And if you're a medical professional, then you have to keep working on the vaccines. And for in, if you're a marketer, 
then the bar the customer raises is endless. And in the world today, which is absolutely customer-centric and customer-led, marketers have a massive bar. So they, a marketer, a modern marketer, absolutely has to understand science, has to understand technology, has to understand sales and finance, very importantly, and then figure out how do I converge all these pieces to deliver an experience that is going to influence, inspire, and change a human life. And that bar is very high. Yeah, especially as the goalpost moves and, <laughs> consistently. Yeah, it, it is insane. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just not slowing down. I think the the you know the new normal is disruption and speed. Um, and, and I always tell people to just use their own consumer expectations, especially in the B2B world, to sort of set where the goalpost may be because our consumer expectations make it, it make its way into business. Um, so I think that that's a great sort of what's next. The, the, the next question is uh, a little more light, but if you could have uh, dinner with anybody, oh, wow. you know, with us or no longer with us, and it could be a couple people. Um, who would it be? Yeah. Um, but that one's easy for me because, um, I have a mentor in life. Um, his name is Daisaku Ikeda and, uh, he lives in Japan. He is, um, he's my mentor and, uh, he's a president of Soka Gakkai International, which is a Buddhist organization. And he, everything that I apply at work in my daily life is what, he is teaching us about Buddhism, and uh, in so many ways, even marketing is a reflection of that. Because you know, the world outside of us is a reflection of our inner self. So, yes, hands down, any single moment of my life would be uh, an opportunity to to sit with him and and um, just listen to him and and learn more and continue to do my own human revolution. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Mayor, thank you so much for spending time with us. I mean, I think we could. I know we could talk all day, but you know, I hope that the uh, listeners enjoyed uh, your amazing insights. And you know, I thank you for your support on on Growth IQ and allowing me to quote you a few times in the book. I think uh, people have enjoyed reading the story uh, of Spotify in it. But I look forward to see what you do next with Freshly and uh, continued success in in everything that you do. And I and I appreciate uh, I appreciate you. So thank you for being here today. No, thank you, Tiffany, for having me over. The pleasure's uh, all mine. Thank you. Well, that was a lot of fun. I could have gone on for another half hour. I hope you found that really timely. For all you marketers out there, that was a masterclass in how to drive brand value, user value into the base, recruiting new customers, the thoughts around funnels, how sales and marketing can work together. I mean, I think Mayor is just one of the quintessential marketers in the 21st century using data and tech and the human element and bringing the engineering background. I just found that a lot of fun. But what I loved most is that completely transparent on the fact that this is a journey and things continue to change based on what the customers actually want from us. So I hope you enjoyed this What's Next podcast with Mayur Gupta. And I hope you are willing to subscribe to the podcast, download, share with your friends, leave some feedback, and I hope to see you back here again soon. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.